We should pray again. Father, our only hope in this time is for you to give us eyes to see the wonderful things from your word, and that as we see them, to see you in them. And we pray that you will help us with that tonight, that we'll be reminded of your love for us, your involvement in our lives, and what that means for what it is you would have us to do. So help us respond as we ought. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned earlier, but I'll say it again. I like books. If I had to choose between reading a book or spending time with a person, I wouldn't always choose the book, but I probably wouldn't always choose the person either. Uh, in fact, the best of both worlds might be if I could have the option to read the book to the person. That way, it's probably cheating. Part of what I want us to see tonight is that, is that God, Ryan wants me to read to him. Which, which would be helpful because as much as I've tried, I found out Ryan doesn't read for himself. Or doesn't prefer to. He's, uh, he claims he's not a reader. Yeah, I could. Uh, Part of what I want us to see tonight is that God also likes books. Now, I would say, probably not exactly in the same way that I do, but in the Bible we see God making judgments, and you could even say God making decisions informed on the basis of what is written in certain books. We know that God has written a book, right? Hopefully you have a copy close by, maybe even now. But we're going to see tonight that God has even been involved in the writing of books other than the Bible. Now, seniors, as we uh, celebrate tonight, your night, senior night, and your graduation, uh, we are able to do this, we're able to uh, have this kind of a celebration for you, in part because certain things have been written about you. Not everything about your life, at least humanly speaking, gets written down. So some of the stories that we would rehearse about your lives, some of which you rehearsed even just a minute ago, may not all get written down for others to read in this life. They may just get remembered and then shared as stories, kind of like we did uh, earlier. But part of the reason that you're able to graduate is because of certain things that were written down and recorded about you. So grades. Somebody had to record those. Uh, Attendance. Projects. And assignments and assessments of various kinds. All of those things... There, there is documentation somewhere in the world that shows that all those things have been completed by you, and so now you have the authority to graduate high school. So you should be glad that some people have kept records like that, so that you can make progress in life like this. And that's a good practice, and, and it's similar to one that we see God doing throughout 
scriptures. So we're going to kind of survey this idea of as this is this is if I just told you the topic which I'm about to you you think it doesn't fit at all for an event like this. I I'm going to try to convince you it does. But we're going to talk about record keeping. Why does the Bible keep really close records on things? Why does why do certain things get recorded that may seem mundane? Um, why does that matter for an, an event like this? But my prayer is that you will love the God who knows you so thoroughly and loves you so intensely that he has written your story starting far longer ago than you can imagine, starting before anything even existed. So let's begin there. You have five main points in these notes. We'll go through them in order. That's the way I like to do it. Number one, God keeps records. God keeps records. There are some questions that arise when we think about the record keeping that God does. The first one I would like for us to answer is, when did God start keeping records? Here's the answer. From before the foundation of the world. And, along with that, implicit in this, that idea but explicit in Scripture, is not just before the foundation of the world, but before you and I were formed. Before we were created by God. Pay attention to Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist says, you, talking to the Lord, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I don't know how eyes can see substance. I don't know how, how you can have substance that's unformed. I don't know how you can have how eyes can see something yet unformed and uncreated. But God's eyes can do that. Your, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God wrote your days in a book. Everything that would happen after you were formed, He wrote it down before you had any days. Revelation 13, in also talking about when all of this was written, he's speaking, uh, John is seeing a vision here actually of uh, the beast that most refer to as Antichrist. And if you look in the middle of that um, passage there that's on your sheet, it mentions that authority was given to the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written, when? Before the foundation of the world. Where? In the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So, if God writes names in a book of life, He does it and has done it from before the foundation of the world. Revelation seventeen eight, the same idea. You see it at the, uh, in that second sentence there. The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
they are the ones who will marvel to see the beast. All right, so God has written a book from before the foundation of the world, and it's not our Bibles. Who is recorded in this book? That's our next question we want to know. Who does God keep records of? And the answer is the names, the specific names of those who belong to him. So it's kind of fitting that the trend was started and carried through tonight that were that you were giving your full names. Your full names matter to God and were written by God in his book before the foundation of the world. Daniel 12 verse 1. Again, speaking of a time at the end, Daniel writes that at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Uh, there shall be uh, a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. And who will be delivered? Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. God has a, a book of names of his people and those are the people who will be delivered. We'll elaborate on that idea a little later. What does God write? In addition to the names, God doesn't just record who His people are. He records what happens to them. He records the experiences of His people. The experiences of His people. Psalm 56. The psalmist says, You have kept count... Of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. What, what kind of, um, of an attitude there or what kind of an emotion there is the psalmist describing? What would, what would he mean by tossings and tears? Yeah, somebody who's in anguish. Somebody who is sorrowful. Somebody who's facing difficulty. And God has kept count of all of those tossings, those tears, those anguishes, and the psalmist asks, are they not in your book? Well, if he has kept count of them, probably he's recorded them. And again, think about how this might apply to us as we think about who this God is. This is a God who knows everything about us. If you have tears and tossings in your life, it is because God has recorded it about you and has known you so well that it has come into your life not by accident, but because He has written it there for you in your story. Why does God write these things? Why does God keep records? Why does God write the names and experiences of His people? Here's our answer. To show the people's citizenship with him. Citizenship is, is an important word for this topic. So he does it to show their citizenship with him and to guarantee their salvation by him. Psalm 87. Look there on your sheet. This is, this is the Lord saying that among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold, Philistia, Tyre with Cush. And he says, this one and that one were born in her. So the Lord is naming these various cities, and he's saying that even those cities 
keep records of their citizens. They keep a census. They know who belongs in that city. God says, These cities say that this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. And He says that the Lord records as He registers the peoples that this one was born there. And if you read uh, elsewhere in that psalm, I didn't put the whole passage there, but the Lord is actually referring to those who would belong to Him as citizens in Zion, in His city. In fact, if you look at the next verse in Isaiah 4, Isaiah says that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been what? Recorded for life in Jerusalem. So, written down, recorded. Recorded why? To live where? In Jerusalem. So God has, has very, very carefully uh, documented all of his people so that he knows who is to live with him in his city. And as you can see, the, the rest of that verse answers when. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst. So after the Lord comes at the end and purifies sin for all time, God knows who will live with him in his city. He has recorded them for life in Jerusalem because he is a God who keeps records. Number two, God doesn't just keep records, but God's people keep records. God's people keep records throughout the Bible. Now, these are some of these passages that are listed here come from uh, parts of Scripture that if you were to do a, a daily reading plan and try to read your Bible from cover to cover, or maybe over, over the course of a year or something, uh, most of us get to passages like this, and because it's a list of names and places, we, we read quickly and we gloss over, and it doesn't seem important. Uh, so let me show you something of the purpose of, of some of these uh, records that are kept by God's people. What kinds of records are kept? Write this down. His people recorded genealogies. That's a, that's a, a big word. Uh, it is uh, spelled out for you there in the verse beneath it, though, if you need help. So First Chronicles 9 talks about how all Israel was recorded in genealogies, and these are written in the book of the kings of Israel. So think about it. In cities uh, and countries, kings had to know who their citizens were, so they would write their names in a book and record them in genealogies so that you would know not just, they would, they would know not just that you lived in this city, but they would know who your family was, who your parents were, who your siblings were, and if you had children. And, and Nehemiah 7, same idea. Nehemiah... Uh, talks about finding the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first and, and who he found written in it, uh, the people who came up out of the captivity of exiles. So as Nehemiah is getting ready to welcome exiles back into the city, he wants to make sure that these are the people who actually went away in exile, that they're real citizens. Now here's a, here's a catch. As God's people kept records, write this down. Those who were not enrolled among God's people were considered unclean outsiders. So think about that. If, if you were on the list in Israel, you got to go into the city. If you were not on the list, you did not get to go into the city. You weren't a citizen. 
if you, if you look down um, to about the last few lines, um, three or four lines or so of that passage there in Nehemiah 7, it picks up that these sought registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. They couldn't be counted as as priests. They were not counted as clean. So when God's people would keep records, it was similar to the way God would keep records, the way that they would record names, and the way that... Um, the way that, the, that there was a distinction of who belonged, who was in, and who was not. So that brings us to the third point, that God's records make a distinction. All right, God's records make a distinction. This is the passage we read together uh, earlier from Malachi 3, about those who fear the Lord and spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and so a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And the Lord says, they shall be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession. So think about that. For your name to be written by God in his book means that you are a treasured possession of his. You belong to him. You are highly valued by him. The Lord goes on, when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. So when God keeps lists, when God keeps records, He has lists of those who belong to Him. And if you're not on that list, you do not belong to Him. That's the distinction. So, here's what we can summarize from that. Not everyone is enrolled with God. That doesn't mean that God doesn't also know unbelievers. Obviously, He does. He created them. He is as sovereign over their lives as He is over the lives of His people. But they are not enrolled with Him. That is to say, they are not citizens with Him. They are not counted in His city, you could say. Not everyone is enrolled with God. A couple of specific examples in Scripture. First of all, sinners are blotted out. Now that should should probably make all of us cringe because how many of us are sinners? All of us. You have this passage in Exodus 32, right after Israel had sinned with the golden calf, and Moses, in front of the people, tells them, you have sinned a great sin, and so I will go up to the Lord... Perhaps I can make atonement for you. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, this is a remarkable phrase, if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Meaning that as a, as a comfort to Moses, Moses hadn't been involved in this sin, so Moses wouldn't be blotted out of the book, only the ones who sinned. In Psalm 69, you actually have this prayer of the psalmist 
He's speaking about those who had afflicted him and opposed him, and he prays to the Lord, Let them, your enemies, be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. That's a really harsh prayer to have prayed against someone. Now, I want to clarify a little bit because I I don't want to be misleading. Um, I don't think this means that God would write someone's name down for salvation and then they do something so heinous and horrible that somehow God would have to get his whiteout or his eraser or his sharpie or whatever he would use and somehow scratch it out, do away with it, as though you would somehow lose your lose the spot that you once had in his registry, as though you would lose your salvation. That can't be what's taught here, because we know from other passages in Scripture that that for God to claim you as his own means he will never abandon you, Right? Jesus says, all the Father has given me, none of them will ever be cast out. But the imagery here is that you're not on the list. It's as though you're blotted out. So sinners are blotted out, and the next false prophets are not enrolled. Ezekiel records the Lord saying that my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. So, this is, this is why we want to be really careful about uh, who we go to for teaching about God, because those who teach false things about God do not really belong to God. They are not enrolled in His registry. So God's records make a distinction in that way. So not everyone is enrolled with God, but for those who are, here's the next point. Being enrolled with God is a primary and a joyous identification for God's people. Primary in the sense that that is, that is our, as, as God's people, our primary identity is just that. We are God's people. We identify with God. We are we belong to him. We are recorded by him. We are written in his book. Jesus says as much in Luke 10. This is after the apostles had gone out and done great miracles, but they come back um, and and uh, tell Jesus, we've done all these great miracles. Jesus' response is, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. All You have... You have authority even over Satan, Jesus says. But, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in your authority over Satan. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our our primary joy is not in our victories over God's enemies personally. Our primary joy is is that God has recorded us for life in Him. At the end of Philippians 3, Paul, talking about citizenship, says that ours is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And then he, uh, as you go into chapter 4, he mentions two women. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So he's acknowledging all these people. He's telling them to agree in the Lord. He's asking them to help one another. And how does he identify them? The rest of my fellow workers whose names are where? In the book of life. That is, that is the primary identification of the people here in the church at Philippi. All of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So God makes that distinction for his people. Number four. God judges based on what he has recorded. So if in God's record keeping, some are enrolled and some are not, then the decisions that God makes about how to judge people are based on what is written in those books. Daniel gives us this idea in chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, if you have thrones, you probably have who on the thrones? Kings. You have the Ancient of Days here as king on the throne. His clothing white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. So we are meant to be in awe of the Ancient of Days on the throne. And then we're told that the court, the others on the throne with him, the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And what you have is a picture, something like a courtroom scene, where the one on the throne is opening the books, and his judgments are going to be based on what the books say. And then John has the same vision at the end of the Bible in Revelation 20, when he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then the other book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And you might say, well, I didn't think that my works saved me. You're right, they don't. So he's not describing here whether or not you get into heaven based on what you've done. He says the dead were judged based on what was written in the books according to what they had done. So, so there are apparently different, we could say, levels of punishment and reward based on actions in life. However, what is ultimate for salvation? That's what the last sentence tells us. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, entrance into God's presence, or banishment to the lake of fire is determined only on whether your name is in God's book of life. Yes, your works are recorded. Yes, they matter as well. But if God has recorded your name in His book of life, 
you will not be cast into the lake of fire. Which means, next point there, that those enrolled by God are eternally secure. If your name is in the book of life, you are secure with God forever. This is what Lily read for us in Revelation 3, where Jesus says, The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. So those enrolled by God are eternally secure, and those enrolled by God enter His presence. This is what Grant read for us at the beginning in Hebrews 12. All of these things that you and I as believers, the author of Hebrews says we've come to, we've come to Mount Zion. So so you and I have come to God's city because we are God's citizens. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the angels, and... He says, to the assembly of the firstborn who are what? Enrolled in heaven. Your names are written there. To the assembly in heaven, to God, to Jesus. We enter into his presence. Revelation 21, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, John says that nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are the kinds of records that God keeps, and those are the ways that God judges based on the records that He keeps. Now here's number five, and I think this is remarkable. Number five. God records people in His book of life who have been spared... And the reason they were spared is because His own Son was not spared. We read this from Malachi 3. We've looked at it a couple of times now, but it's pretty central to the point I'm trying to make. So look at it again with me. Malachi 3, starting in verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. A book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and here's the key sentence, and I will spare them. Do you and I deserve to be spared by God for anything that we have done? Not at all. And yet God says, I will spare them, and he goes on, as a man spares his son who serves him. So the idea here is parenting, okay? Sons who are obedient don't get punished. They are spared when they serve the father. Who is the son who has been most obedient to the father in the history of the world? Jesus. Jesus, the most obedient son to the most demanding father in the history of the world. And the Lord says that when I write people's names in a book, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. The irony is that, G- that, that God had a son, Jesus, who served him, but did Jesus get spared? No, he did not get spared. Why? So that you and I could be spared. So Romans 8, Paul says, What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare His own Son. God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And when the Bible talks about all things, it means all things in the presence of God. All the blessings of being a son of God. A child of God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He says that the children of God are elect, chosen by Him. You were chosen by God. Your name was not, your name did not end up in the book of life on accident. God chose you and wrote it there so that you could be spared even when His obedient Son was not. And then one more time, Revelation 13, 8 gives us this picture. Look at what it calls the book again. Very last line there of that verse. The names of people written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of who? The Lamb who was slain. slain. Not spared, but slain. What does slain mean? Killed. Think about that. This is the book of life of the Lamb who was killed. There's life for people written in the book because someone else's life was taken away. He was slain. He was killed so that you and I could have life. We could be written in the book of life. Three conclusions very quickly. And I just I want you to consider these because we don't have time to consider them together. So, based on the fact that God keeps these kinds of records, first, consider the implications for salvation. Consider the implications for salvation. Think about what it means to be recorded in God's book of life. To have your name written securely there, never to be blotted out so that your hope of heaven is found in Him and His works and not in your own. Twenty years ago today, twenty years ago today, all right, I was 14. Twenty years ago today, my dad went to heaven. All right? Not because of His works, but because His name was written in the book of life because my dad was spared from paying for his own sins because Jesus was not spared. And you and I could go to heaven anytime. You and I could lose our lives anytime. This matters. Where our names are recorded matters for salvation. So consider the implications for salvation. Second, consider the implications for good works. Consider the implications for good works. God knows our works. And the reason I brag so much on you seniors about your good works is because they give evidence of your salvation. I know that you belong to the Lord, not just because of what you tell me, but because I see it lived out in your lives. I see the way that you want to serve the Lord by serving others. I see the sacrifices that you have made. And so for all of us, consider the implications of God recording our works. And lastly, consider the implications for 
church membership. That might sound random, but here's what I mean. It is good for churches to keep records of their people. It is, it is good for us to know who is in and who is out, who belongs and who doesn't, so that we know who it is we are primarily to be helping follow Jesus. It is good for us to submit to the authority of a church so that that church's leaders can teach us the Scriptures and they can guide us in godliness because we need one another. Seniors, again, you have modeled involvement in a church by the way you serve the Lord in this youth ministry. Thank you for that. And from here on out, continue to be involved in churches. Join a church. Submit to a church. So that you can continue to serve the Lord of the church always. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the answer to the question of who can bring any charge against God's elect is no one. There are no charges against us because you have justified us. No one is able to condemn us because it is Christ who died and was raised in our place and is seated at the right hand of the Father who so thoroughly knows everything about us, knows our actions, our works, knows our days, has numbered them, and knew them before we were even born and wrote them in a book before the foundation of the world. And you have known us, and you have loved us, And so we, as your people, ask you to use us in whatever way you see fit. And we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.